Hello, everyone. Welcome to Fitz on Fantasy. I'm Pat Fitzmorris of Fantasy Pros. Find me on Twitter at Fitz underscore FF. And it is now my great pleasure to say hello to this week's guest, my good buddy, Justin Boone. He's the lead fantasy analyst at The Score, and he's among the best and most consistent player rankers in the business. Be sure to check out his draft kit at thescore.com. Listen to him on the Score Fantasy Football Podcast, and be sure to follow him at Justin Boone on Twitter. Justin, welcome back, old friend. Hey, thanks for having me again, Pat. And, you know, you're one of the people in the industry that whether we're on my show, whether I'm on your show, I feel like we could talk for an hour before we even turn the mics on, right? Like before we even start recording, you and I could talk. We almost did. We started talking for a while before we kind of caught ourselves and and realized we should probably start the show here. But always good talking to you, man, especially this time of year when we've already had now one preseason game. Wasn't much of a preseason game, but we had one preseason game so far, and now we got a lot of the, the casual fantasy managers are trickling back in at this time of year. So it's a great time to help everybody get up to speed and get ready for the season. Yeah, I think everyone who does this feels that uh, urge and that transition at the same time from the uh, slower pace of the summer to the urgency of the impending season and uh, time to buckle the seatbelts. And I think that's kind of where we're at now, especially with the start of the exhibition games and, you know, the first full week of the preseason upon us, the news tidbits flowing in constantly. And uh, maybe we should start with some of the newsier stuff, Justin. Yeah, like, absolutely. Kareem Hunt has asked the Cleveland Browns for either a new contract or a trade. And that sort of thing necessarily, well, isn't necessarily worth addressing, but the Browns might actually be in a position where they could afford to trade him they have Nick Chubb, who's arguably one of the two or three best pure rushers in the league. They also have Darius Johnson, who's been good whenever he's been needed to pitch in so far. And uh, they drafted rookie Jerome Ford. So if you're doing a draft this week, are you at all tweaking your rankings for Chubb or Hunt or Darius Johnson at all? No, I haven't changed them that much. I mean, I had... Some of that kind of in my mindset when I've been working on the rankings that that was a possibility because that's kind of been reported throughout the offseason by different people that it could potentially happen. I think I might move Dearness Johnson up a little bit here. I think he might be the one that I could have a, a little bit low, but we've seen so many of these situations over the offseason, all these receivers that we thought were going to get traded and how many of them actually did get traded? Not that many, right? We've seen, you know, Debo Samuel ends up staying in San Francisco and DK Metcalf stays with the Seahawks. And so we really don't know how this is going to end up yet. And that's why I'm not really going to jump too far, because what would you really change in your rankings that much? I mean, Nick Chubb would bump up a couple spots. Probably I have him right now as a high end RB2. I think I have him at 13, I believe, at the moment. Um, so maybe you bump him into the low end RB one range. Like I said, you bump Darren Johnson up. He would be the one that would kind of get the, the biggest boost into really that high end backup kind of range. Like he would belong there. Cause then if you're talking about a Chubb injury and hunt isn't around, we saw Dearness Johnson put up pretty good stats when he got a shot last year and then hunt, you can't really move him that far. I have him in the RB three range right now, but it'd be pure speculation, right? He could end up anywhere. So Really difficult, I think, to make any any huge changes based on this news, which you know isn't really news. It's kind of just speculation. So right now, I will bump uh, Johnson up a little bit into kind of the range that I have Zamir White in right now, kind of the number three backs who have a chance to earn a little more this year, which is like around RB sixty or so for me. Yeah, interesting. So I'd like maybe break ties. I think based on this, knowing that maybe the Browns guys have a little bit more upside if. 
there is a, a Han trade, you know, that that would catapult the value for sure of, of Chubb and Dearness Johnson, maybe Hunt too, depending on where he landed. Uh, but that is far from a certainty. We're already a week into padded practices. So um, it, like hard to see something coming together. Yeah, probably, probably not. So well, maybe I break to... ties. Oh, go ahead. No, I was going to say, it's not to say though, that like if Hunt does end up somewhere in a starting role, he definitely can produce, right? Like he's a guy that we've seen before put up RB1 numbers and I think he could still do it in the right situation. I guess more what I'm saying is just, you know, without having any sort of idea where he could end up, it's hard to then speculate. But if he gets traded somewhere and it's a great landing spot, I will then vault him way up my rankings because talent wise, I've been hoping for the last couple seasons that he was going to find his way out of Cleveland and make it somewhere where we could see him actually produce again. So it is kind of exciting and I'm hopeful that he will actually escape Cleveland and end up on another team before the season. Yeah, it would be fun to sort of uh, reassess his value if he had a, a beefier workload. Um, so how worried are you about Matthew Stafford's elbow? I mean, I'm less worried after the the last few days here and he's got back out there and he's throwing pretty well and he seems to be talking pretty confidently about it. And I know a lot of players normally are overconfident about their injuries, but I would say seeing him out there throwing well and all the beat beat writers sort of commenting that he looks good. That's calmed my nerves a bit. Now this isn't about week one though, right? Like that's never been the, the worry. I think their plan for him is they'll have him ready to go in week one. I think it's more about week four, week eight, week 12. At some point, is that elbow issue going to pop up and cause him a problem? But like I said, based on what we saw from the last few days, I'm not really moving him down my rankings. I had him at QB 13 already, and I don't know where that is compared to ECR. I didn't take a look, but I almost always come away with one of the guys in the top 12. And that's because I think the top 12 for me, it's pretty clear that those guys all have a shot to put up, you know, top five numbers this season. I think they all have that kind of ceiling. So I want to make sure I get one of those top 12 this year. After that, it gets a little harder, I think, to project high-end outcomes for guys like Stafford, where it's not just the elbow injury that factors in, but also the fact, you know, he's not really giving you much with his legs, so it really forces him to put up that big touchdown total with his arm, and if we're talking about an arm that might not be 100% here all year long, then you start to worry that he might not be able to do that. So I'm really trying to get one of those top 12, which means I haven't ended up with much Stafford at all in drafts so far this year and it's that's not going to change i'm not going to be aiming to get him and it's really i'm not moving down any other options yet i also wonder like would they go with with john wolford as the, the guy if stafford went out like i've gone out and picked up wolford in a couple dynasty leagues like super flex two qb situations where you know i need someone maybe but i don't know i feel like i don't know who would be out there who'd be willing to come back but the team is just so loaded it would kind of be shocking that if stafford went out they would go with Wolford, but that's a whole nother situation. That's me and my, my dynasty brain popping up there, Pat. To answer your question, <laughs> I, I am a little bit worried, but not to the point where I'm going to move him below the Derek Carrs or the Kirk Cousins of the world yet. Well, it's interesting that they are holding back Wolford now and not they won't play him in the first preseason game. And that does kind of make me wonder if, if they feel like they're, uh, I don't know, that's a, a move that they have to make based on any sort of uncertainty about Stafford. Like if we got negative news on Stafford again, like, and, and they maybe had to shut him down at all. Would that possibly affect your ranking of Cooper cup? Like a little bit enough of a trickle down concern to maybe put him behind Justin Jefferson and Jamar chase. 
Oh, absolutely. Yeah. If, if we knew that Stafford wasn't going to be out there, then Cup definitely takes a, a bit of a fall down the rankings because so much of it has been the, the synergy that those two guys have, right? And the, the breakfast buddies, whatever you want to call them, right? Like yes. they have that connection ever since he got there. So yeah, that would definitely move Cup down and move Allen Robinson down. You start to bump all those guys down fairly significantly because even though we saw Wolford stepped in, he doesn't have a lot of NFL experience. He, he does have a little bit. He was out there. He runs around. Like, that's why for, for Dynasty, I was kind of intrigued by if they did throw him out there in that offense with those weapons, maybe over a short, you know, stretch, he could put up some okay fantasy numbers for you. But yeah, I'm, I think the fact that they're going to hold Wolford out, it's just like the Rams never play anyone of note in the preseason, right? Like, and I know Wolford's the backup, so you think they might want to get him some reps, but they don't take any chances with their players in the preseason. They haven't done it the last couple of years. So it's not that shocking given everything that, that they would keep Wolford out. Agreed. Uh, what's your take on the aggressive recovery schedules for Chris Godwin and James Robinson? So Godwin tore his ACL in week 15, didn't have surgery until January 3rd. And yet he's been practicing in training camp and is expressing confidence that he'll be ready for week one. And meanwhile, Robinson tore his Achilles in week 16. He's been participating in drills and is expected to be fully cleared in practice in a couple of weeks. I mean, I'm not going to come on here and pretend that I'm, you know, an expert injury analyst. I'm not. I tend to lean on, you know, Gene Brammel and Edmund Porras and Matthew Betts and Stefania Bell. And there are a lot of great injury analysts out there who have these medical backgrounds, right? They, they know what they're talking about. So I kind of try to read as much of their stuff as I can and then kind of factor that into, you know, what I've seen over the years and, and come up with my outlook for it. For Godwin, I don't expect that the Bucks are going to rush him back. Like, it's great that he's out there, but I think they have to be reasonable. I think fantasy managers should be reasonable, too, that you're talking about a team with Super Bowl aspirations. Why would they rush their best receiver back from a torn ACL early in the year? They don't need him in week one, right? They need him later in the year. So from what I've seen, I think that an October return, at least if we're talking about like back to full snaps, something in October makes a lot more sense to me with how well he's doing. I think there's a good chance that he could get out there sometime in September and maybe play some limited snaps, but it would be shocking to me if they put him out there on a, a regular workload or anything close to a regular workload in the first month. That's why they have Russell Gage. That's why you bring in a Julio Jones, even a Kyle Rudolph, right? These guys can kind of help fill that void until Godwin gets back, right? They can kind of be the bridge there. So I've moved Godwin up a little bit in my rankings because of these positive reports and because of, you know, seeing him out there at practice without the brace on and all that. But I'm not expecting him to, to play significant snaps in the opening few weeks of the season. So I would really temper my expectations there. And then with Robinson, I mean, another one where it is great to see him out in the field. It's great to see him participating. But we saw this with Cam Akers last year, right? It's not about coming back from the Achilles tear. It's about what version of you is going to come back from this Achilles tear and the odds of him being a hundred percent of what he was at any point this season, that has to be so low, right? He's less than a year removed from the injury. Just so unlikely that he could get back out there and be anything close to what he was explosiveness wise. So is he going to be 60%? Is he going to be 80%? That's what we have to figure out. I don't think anyone knows that I'm projecting to be a, a less explosive version of what he was, at least for this year. Maybe, you know, in a year or so, we'll finally see him get back to the same form. But Achilles injuries are no joke for a running back. And so for me, I've been shying away from him. I know the price is right. You can get him really cheap in drafts, but I haven't really been taking much of him. Instead, I've been investing in Travis Etienne. I've been investing in Snoop Connor, the rookie there, who 
apparently has looked pretty good in training camp so far. And Etienne's the obvious one. We don't really have to talk about him, but Connor, I think just because he fills that Robinson kind of role, he could really step up into that kind of role in the offense. But in both cases, talking about Godwin, talking about Robinson, we're seeing the hard work from those guys. I think we have to hats off to them for putting in the work to get back this quick hats off to the improvements that we've seen in the medical treatment. Like that is just so impressive that these guys are coming back so fast. Cause a few years back, we wouldn't have expected either of these guys to be back and participating at this point in training camp. Right. So it's great to see still tempering my expectations a little bit. Godwin, I would be more interested in taking a shot on him, just hoping that I could fill that first month. And then we'll see him get back to something pretty close to what we would expect. Whereas Robinson, I have a lot of doubts based on what we saw from Cam Akers that he's going to be a, a big time factor this year. Yeah, you said it well. Chances are they do work in Godwin pretty slowly into the regular season. But on the bright side, at least the timetable's probably moved up. I would have expected maybe he didn't see the field at all until October. Then they take a month to ramp him up to you know a fuller snap count. So at least the timetable seems to be bumped up a little bit, and I've uh, bumped him up accordingly. Still in wide receiver three range. And with Robinson, yeah, you mentioned Cam Akers. I mean, one one thing is that Akers was a, a second round pick, a little more athletic, and uh, you know Robinson was a UDFA who maybe succeeding in the NFL with something other than his athleticism. And for him to to lose, I don't know, maybe a guy like that really can't afford to lose a step, whereas Akers possibly could. So um, yeah, that makes me a little nervous too. Um, let's. Touch briefly on a couple of the Buffalo Bills, Justin, since I know they're the team nearest and dearest to your heart. <laughs> Where do you stand? And and has it, I got to ask, like, has it sort of uh, been interesting to you as a Bills fan to see this uh, uproar over Gabriel Davis all offseason? He's become one of these immensely polarizing players. Uh, so I'm, I'm curious if you're amused by that and also uh, where you stand on him. Yeah, I definitely am amused by it, though I will say I'm more down for a Gabe Davis argument than I am for, you know, the people want to argue whether it's, you know, Justin Jefferson or Jamar Chase, like both those guys are going to be amazing. Like, why are we wasting any time on Twitter talking about this, right? Like, take one or the other. You're going to have a great season. Good luck. I like to spend a little more time further down the rankings, kind of debating some of those. And Gabe Davis definitely falls into that. You know, as a Bills fan, like you said, it's been great seeing you know, I saw bad management most of my life in that organization. And now having Brandon Bean and Sean McDermott there just completely changes the culture. Now they make the right decisions. They make smart picks in the draft. And what that tells me, I have so much faith in these guys. And when they don't go out and pick up anyone to compete with Gabe Davis on the outside there, it tells me they really trust this guy. I know they brought in, you know, they brought in Khalil Shakir in the draft and you know they brought in Jamison Crowder the vet those guys are more kind of slot options really so I don't think they're really going to challenge Davis too much on the outside so they got a lot of faith in him that gives me faith in him and I really think you know last year what we saw from him down the stretch once he took over for Emmanuel Sanders we saw a pretty good receiver and no he's not Stefan Diggs and no it's not all about the the huge playoff game which some people want to point to that right and go, oh my god He's not going to do that every week. That is the absolute ceiling. It was great to see that happen, but we can't really look at that. I think he is going to succeed based on the fact that he is the number two option in a Josh Allen passing attack. He is someone with significant touchdown upside, and that's what I'm projecting. I don't think the yardage is going to be huge. Maybe he'll get to 1,000 yards. Wouldn't be surprised if he's in the 900 range, 
but I think he's got a really good shot to flirt with double digit touchdowns this year. And I think that makes him a top 25 fantasy receiver. Where, where do you have him? I'm curious. Yeah. So let's see. I right now have got him wide receiver and I think I'm kind of aggressive wide receiver 24. Okay. Where, so where are you? Higher than I do. Yeah. Yeah. So, and I think, I mean, it's funny, Justin, like when you listen to fantasy podcasts, you generally don't hear a lot of discussion about Josh Allen or at least not a lot of analysis of Josh Allen, because what's there to analyze? He's the QB1, case closed. But when you look at the difference between Josh Allen's 2020 and 2021 seasons, he was much more efficient as a passer in 2020. Like he averaged 7.9 yards per attempt versus 6.8 yards per attempt last year. Uh, His passer rating in 2020 was, let's see, 107.2, and last year was only 92.2, a 15-point difference. His QBR fell by almost 16 points last year. His TD percentage fell. His interception percentage went up. So, like, what if he gets back to that 2020 passing efficiency and he's got, you know, like a a more polarized passing tree, perhaps, with with no Cole Beasley? Um, Things are a little bit more clear on the outside. Like, we saw Diggs just go nuclear in 2020. And uh, maybe Diggs doesn't go nuclear, but there's a little spillover to Gabe Davis. And if Gabe Davis plays this enhanced snap count, yeah, I'm actually pretty excited by that, especially a guy who's shown a knack for getting into the end zone. Well, and talking about how they make so many smart decisions now, like look how they brought Allen along, right? Like that first year, they rebuilt the offensive line on the fly. And then the next year, they bring in Stefan Diggs and they give him that top weapon. And now this year, it was pretty clear. And maybe in part because of what you're saying about his efficiency kind of going down, They really wanted to go out and get him a pass catching back. They tried it with J.D. McKissick. They tried it with Chase Edmonds, apparently, in the offseason. They couldn't get either of those guys. They end up drafting James Cook. And now I I think they have a guy that can really fill that role for them. So, uh, yeah, I think there's really no no discussion on Allen. He for sure is the the number one QB. I don't think that's me being a, a homer or anything like that. I think most people would agree at this point that for sure he's the number one fantasy QB. And I think this Bills offense, there's so many weapons there. Even if you want to look at Isaiah McKenzie, he could be a a more explosive slot guy for them than what they were getting out of Cole Beasley, right? So I think there's a chance this offense is going to be even better, which is saying something, but there's a reason why they're the the Super Bowl favorites, right, odds-wise. Yeah, let's let's talk about Cook for a second, because I got to admit I have pumped the brakes on him a little bit just looking at some of the Bills' numbers from the past four years, Josh Allen's tenure as the starter, and... um, just that he has scored more rushing touchdowns than all Bills running backs combined. And also that as far as a percentage of team targets, the Bills team targets to running backs have been pretty low, like bottom four low in a couple of those years. Um, But do you maybe think that's just because he didn't have quality pass catching back? I think that factors in. I mean, we'll see if anything changes here too with the new offensive coordinator, right? Brian Dable's not there. So we could see some changes in play calling. I'm intrigued by Cook. Depending on my build, I'm willing to take chances on him and Singletary, I would say, just because of how cheap that you can get them in drafts. You just have to know what you're getting. Like with Singletary, at best, you're going to get an RB2 in fantasy. And that's if everything goes right, like last year, where no one else is really getting work in the backfield. He's getting it all. And he's still getting vultured a little bit by Josh Allen around the goal line. But in that scenario, he could give you RB2 numbers. I don't know that we're going to see that this year. I'm not ranking it that way. I have Singletary ranked as an RB3 at this point just because you have Cook there eating into the passing game and you still have Allen there taking away goal line looks. So 
I think if I'm going to pick between them purely based on upside, even though I have Singletary projected to put up better stats this year, I would rather take Cook based on the upside because I think there's a chance that if he's as explosive as we think and he goes out there, he could be that Alvin Kamara light kind of in the offense, right? And he could really give them something else. And clearly they were looking for that new wrinkle. He could potentially give it to them. And then as the year goes along, maybe he starts to earn a little more. I know right after the draft, Brandon Bean came out and kind of really, it sounded like he was kind of pigeonholing Cook as this pass catching option and that Singletary was going to continue to be the lead guy. Maybe that will continue. I think that's how they're going to start the year. But if I'm looking for fantasy upside, Cook has the the better profile at this point to give you the the bigger stats if everything comes together for him, if he's as explosive as we hope, if the offense is as good as we hope, and all those things I think will happen this year. Boy, Alvin Kamara light sounds pretty good, but I, I think you might be spot on as far as a guy who could potentially have pretty significant fantasy value without having an enormous uh, share of the rushing load. I mean, Kamara used to do it with under 200 carries and, uh, you know, still have all this value. And the Bills obviously are going to score a lot of points and, and, you know, have a lot of long drives and score a lot of touchdowns. So there is potential for a touchdown windfall there. Um, you know, even if, if Cook is not one of these guys you can count on to get 15 carries a week. Um, all right, Justin, like it wouldn't be a Pat Fitzmaurice, Justin Boone podcast if we didn't drill down on rankings. Uh, but first, let's go off topic for a few minutes. Um, uh, like, can we talk about the magnificence of Toronto? Because I've only <laughs> been there once and it is on the short list of my favorite North American cities. Uh, it's absolutely beautiful. The bar and restaurant scene is great. There's a lot to see and do. It's got this great international flavor to it. You live on the outskirts of Toronto, so you must be pretty fond of it. Like, what do you consider to be the best things about the city? I mean, I do live on the outskirts of Toronto now, um, about a, a half hour away from the city. But I was there. I lived in Toronto for 10 years. Like, I grew up, I was born and raised in Niagara Falls. And then, you know, work-wise after school ended up in Toronto. And and like I said, I was there for about a, a decade or so. And yeah, I mean, you you hit on a lot of it. I mean... It feels very clean compared to a lot of other big cities I've been to. I don't know if I'm just like biased on that one, but it definitely seems like just really, really nice. The diversity, like I love the fact that I have friends and this is no knock on anyone, you know, but I have friends that grew up in in small towns and, you know, never really left the small town that much. You know, when I moved to Toronto and, and not that Niagara Falls was some small town, but obviously much smaller than a big city like Toronto. But when you move to the big city and you get to experience all these different cultures, all these different, you know, foods, all these different events. Like it's just, it's an amazing experience. Like I, I loved it so much. And I, I moved out of the city Why a lot of people move out of the city just so I could, you know, afford some land and afford a, a nice house and stuff like that. It wasn't going to get anything right downtown for, you know, what I was ready to spend, but I love, you know, I miss the one thing I miss. And I'm not that far off. You know, we still get back there for lots of events and festivals and concerts and all that sort of stuff. But just, having that stuff at your fingertips, right? Like sometimes it'd be a half hour before, you know, an event started and I wouldn't have tickets for it. And you jump on, you know, one of the the secondhand, you know, ticket apps, you, oh my God, we can still grab some cheap seats and boom, you get down there in time. And the next thing you know, you're at a, a sporting event or a festival, or like I said, a concert, anything. And with the sports, it's not even just, everybody would look at, you know, the Raptors, the Blue Jays, even the Maple Leafs, if there's any hockey fans out there, but have you ever been to an MLS game, Pat? I have not. Like the, the Toronto, Sonic, it's big in Toronto, Toronto FC. Like 
one of the best fan experiences that I've ever had. And I'm not saying this like represents all of Toronto, but like it just pops into my head that when I think of going to sporting events in Toronto, I've been to some great ones, lots of playoff games, but some of those Toronto FC games, like just phenomenal, like standing right in the supporter section, singing all the songs. It is a great experience. And there's so many different things like that. So yeah, I would recommend Toronto to anybody uh, only nice things to say about it. Only nice things to say about really all the big Canadian cities like Montreal. I've never had a bad time there. Vancouver is absolutely beautiful. I got to go to Calgary a couple years back before the pandemic and see the Canadian Rockies. And I'll tell you what, I wouldn't be surprised if I end up living out there at some point. The Canadian Rockies like just amazing out there. So I've been trying to convince my way ever since we came back from there. I've been dropping hints that at some point I think we got to move out there. And so maybe down the road we will. Oh, like I need to see the Western Canadian cities, but I can attest to the uh, splendor of Toronto and Montreal, which is just phenomenal. I mean, parts of Montreal, you feel like you're walking through Europe. Um, And even Toronto, you mentioned the diversity. I mean, if you go in the Kensington market, there are times when you would wonder whether you were in Canada or like Kingston, Jamaica. (laughs) <laughs> or something. I, well, I guess if you were there in February, you wouldn't have to wonder. Uh, with the this is true. Snow yeah, and you can ice, really but, enjoy uh, it for part of the year. <laughs> <laughs> and by the way, Justin, how is pea meal bacon not a thing in America? Like, I had a pea meal bacon breakfast sandwich in the St. Lawrence market. Like, that's so good. I mean, I came back to America and I was like sulking that I could not get a pea meal bacon breakfast sandwich anywhere here. You're going to get like my passport revoked or something. I'm not a huge fan, honestly. Not a, oh, I no. love bacon. I love bacon. Love, you know, regular, good, crispy bacon. Not a huge fan of female bacon. Hopefully, hopefully, you know, the, the passport office isn't listening to this and they're not going to knock <laughs> on my door after the show. <laughs> uh, let me ask you about your home leagues, Justin, because I saw your tweet a while back about uh, the buddy of yours who came up with an elaborate marble race course to determine draft order. Uh, so tell me, how many home leagues do you play in and do they mean more or less to you than the industry leagues you play in? Well, quickly, I will say that that friend, his name is Jimmy Lanigan. He is fantastic. Uh, he's an aerospace engineer. Um, so he's very, very creative and you know, very tech savvy. He could pull together a lot of stuff. And I mentioned in that tweet that last year he decided we have to up our game. We got to do something better. And he created this really, I didn't take pictures of it, but he created this really elaborate a duck race where there were just all these different colored ducks. And depending where you finished, you got a different amount of ducks and it was fantastic. He had a whole stream built and everything with it. It was great. And then this year, out of nowhere, we get a message from him one day and pictures from his backyard that he has just decided he's going to set up this marble race and took him a few hours to build the whole thing. And yeah, it was, I recommend anybody out there. There were some good people had some great suggestions on that tweet of what they do in their league. So go check that out. If you're looking for a better way to kind of do the draft lottery in your league, but uh, for me, I think I'm up around, it's pretty, I don't know the exact number this year, Pat. I think it's close to like 20 managed leagues, like not counting, you know, best ball and all the other stuff. Um, I've tried to dial it back the last couple of years and every like few years, I try to kind of take some away if I can. And it kind of goes up and down like that. Um, and if I can, I try to replace them with dynasty leagues because I love dynasty so much more now than, than regular redraft leagues. It's it's harder for me to get up and get excited for, for regular redraft leagues, but I would say I have three home leagues that I care more about. And going back to the one uh, with Jimmy and with the the marble race, um, that was a really interesting one because last year, um, that was the only league that I had been in for more than one or two years where I had never won the title. And I had only joined that league maybe six years ago. 
Um, they had somebody drop out. It, it's friends from high school and then some of their friends from their university. And they had somebody drop out of their league like a couple days before the draft and they couldn't find anybody. And my one friend messaged me and asked me if I would join. And I said, absolutely. And then the rest of the league freaked out on him because why on earth would you invite an analyst in our league? <laughs> they weren't very happy. And I, I decided to kind of like play it up. Like I figured like, all right, I'll be the New York Yankees. Like I'll be the the big bad in the league. And I kind of came in and started chirping right away and saying, you know, I was going to use the league like an ATM and cash money out every year. And, you know, a lot of great chirping went back and forth. And then the first year went to the finals, lost. The second year I went to the semifinals and lost. And each year I'd make the playoffs, I'd make the finals. I just kept losing and I wasn't coming through with what I said bad. And you know me, you know that kills me. You know how competitive I am. So it became this big thing in the league where they were all kind of trying to make sure that I didn't win the title. But last year I finally did it. I finally won the league and I wanted to do something special like to mark the occasion. So I took some of my winnings. I went on Cameo. You're familiar with Cameo? Like you can get the, you know, different people, celebrities, a lot of a lot of dealer celebrities and stuff, but you can get celebrities on there to like film a video in case anybody doesn't know. And I was trying to think like who could like roast the league, who would do a great job with it. And I decided it had to be a comedian and I eventually went with Gilbert Godfrey. And that we know now it's bittersweet because a couple months later, a few months later, Gilbert Godfrey passed away unfortunately, but in this Cameo, he really came through cuz you don't have that much space you have like 250 characters to kind of explain what you'd like them to do. And so I put a couple inside jokes, one about the commissioner in the league who I always tease and one about the guy who finished in last place. And then I was like almost out of space. So I said, you know, here's the list of names of everyone else. Just roast them. And did he ever, it was phenomenal. The league thought it was great too. Definitely no regrets on my end. You know, I just wish we still had Gilbert with us so we could all go, you know, see him actually perform or something. That would be a nice way to top it all off. Oh man, that is so awesome. Cause I mean, we, we know that like you and I play in, even though we play against some really tough competitors in the home league, some of these guys really know their stuff. Like they do take this special pride in getting the better of us. Right. Uh, and like, you know, they win, win a game against you or knock you out of the playoffs. I don't know about you, but are, are these guys gloating, uh, about taking down the guy who studies fantasy football for a living? I know they are. Oh, with absolutely. Me. Uh, one of my leagues, I, I remember, and, and you had this too, the year after me, when I won the Fantasy Pros Accuracy Contest, I had one of my friends crack a joke to the whole league that, wow, he's the most accurate ranker. Pretty impressive that he only finished sixth in our league this year. You know what I mean? Like just, <laughs> just driving it right in, just killing me, right? Like, and, and that stuff, that'll eat away at me after the fact too. So I love it though. That's That's one of the fun things about fantasy, right? Like I always try to remind people, we get in the weeds with this. We make it kind of nerdy sometimes even, right? All the stats and everything and all the work that we're doing, but it's supposed to be fun, right? Like it's supposed to be this experience that brings everybody together and it brings joy into your life, even though, you know, only really one team wins out of the 12 or 14 or however many are in your league each year. So you tend to end up with the majority of the league kind of upset, but it's still supposed to be this fun experience throughout the season. And I try to make sure that's the case in all the leagues I'm doing. And I hope everybody out there doesn't get too serious with it. And, you know, they're trying to win, but you're also having fun along the way. Yeah. Sometimes the humility of it is like part of the fun and looking back, you know, the, without the, the pain, the successes aren't as uh, gratifying, I guess. So, all right, let's dive into rankings, Justin. And, and maybe let's start with some of the guys we agree on 
basically. And, and maybe you can just provide a quick thought or two on each of the guys I'm going to mention. And, uh, you know, maybe I'll chime in with a quick thought too. So we both have Joe Burrow as a top five quarterback. I know some people are kind of worried there's going to be a regression there, but I look at his situation and I think it got better this year. I don't think there's going to be a Super Bowl hangover for them at all. You look at the weapons he has, he's so insulated, you know, even if one of those top two guys goes down and I look at, at Chase and Higgins, like, yes, Chase is the better receiver, but Higgins is not far off. I have them both as top 10 fantasy receivers, but if one of them goes down, you have Tyler Boyd who could step in and he is no slouch, right? He could step in and give you a, a top 20, top 24 kind of production in that scenario. They bring in what I think is a better receiving tight end in Hayden Hurst. And then the big thing, they go and address the real problem. That offensive line, right? You get Lyle Collins at tackle, you bring in Ted Karras, you bring in Alex Kappa, and all of a sudden that line doesn't look nearly as bad. Now, with offensive lines, we know it'll take a little bit of time for them to gel, but it's great to see that they're kind of doing it right there and they're trying to protect Burrow and it's going to help Burrow. It's going to help the run game, but I think he's got another year, another big, big year in him here. And I think he's going to have a huge touchdown total, even though he's another one of those guys that not going to get massive rushing stats from him, but man, it's hard to project their passing game taking that much of a step back. Yeah, people who listen to me on podcasts are probably going to get sick of hearing this, but I'm going to point out once again that Joe Burrow had a uh, average 8.9 yards per pass attempt last year, which Tom Brady has never done in a single season, and Aaron Rodgers has only done once. And yes, he made a lot of big plays, but well, when you have Jamar Chase and T. Higgins as your receivers, you're going to make an inordinate number of big plays. And the other thing, Justin, like his passing volume – was pretty subdued, um, like compared to someone like Justin Herbert. I mean, there was a big gap in pass attempts between Justin Herbert and Joe Burrow. And what if we see those two, um, you know, those two numbers, that gap in pass attempts close? Like it wouldn't surprise me at all, not in the least, to see Joe Burrow like be a significantly better fantasy performer than Justin Herbert this year. Like I think he's the better quarterback. And I know people are going to uh, take issue with that, but like, I just think he's better. I can't, I can't agree with you there. I think Herbert's really good. I, I think Herbert is the, the slightly better quarterback, but they both have fantastic situations and great weapons. And the teams are spending to try to protect them on the line. Like both those organizations are, are doing it right around those guys. And I think they're going to be top fantasy QBs for a long time. The other thing, like you said, with the the volume being down last year for Burrow, he was coming off the injury, right? Like early in yes. the season, they were taking it easy on him. And I know, you know, he had the appendectomy and he's going to be fine for the year unless there's some complication. Like he's already back out at practice, hanging out and stuff like he should be more than healthy before the season. So if there's any sort of dip out there because people saw that headline, make sure you get them. Like there's no concern whatsoever, but this isn't the appendectomy isn't coming back from, you know, significant knee injury. Like he's going to be okay to start the year. And and like you said, I think they're going to be able to throw the ball all over the yard again. Another big season for sure coming. Yeah. And maybe some more rushing. We knew he liked to, to take off and run at LSU. Uh, speaking of rushing QBs, we both have Trey Lance at quarterback nine. I mean, last year we saw it. I could talk about Trey Lance for a whole episode and any, like you just said about your show. If anybody listens to my show, they're probably sick of me talking about Trey Lance because I have been on this guy from the start. I think he is going to be a really good fantasy quarterback. And I think he's going to eventually emerge 
as a really good NFL quarterback and the negative press that this guy gets, I do not understand it. Like he is getting scrutinized. Like most quarterbacks do not get that level of scrutiny early in their career. I'm kind of surprised that there's this many people coming out against him and not sort of giving him the benefit of the doubt and giving him some time. But I mean, we see the same with Tua. We see people just want to rag on these guys early in their career without actually giving them a chance to, you know, develop into what they're eventually going to become. But when you look at fantasy wise, he gets thrown out there last year, you know, not totally ready. He's not getting all the first team reps. He's behind Garoppolo. He has three games where he plays over 50% of the snaps. Two of them were starts. And two of those three games, he's a top 13 fantasy quarterback, right? Like the rushing stats are going to be great. The weapons around him are going to help lift him up. And I saw Debo Samuel kind of allude to that when he was asked about it. Like, look at all these options that he has to throw to. And I will point out all these guys that can help him out by being these like yak monsters, right? Like Kittle, Debo, Ayuk, you throw these guys the ball short, let them do the work. They're going to be able to help his stats as well. And then the rushing is going to get him through some tough patches. And I know it's it's silly to make the comparison and I shouldn't even do it. And it's irresponsible, but I'm going to say it anyway. If he develops like he could, he his ceiling could be Josh Allen. Like he could become that player eventually. I don't think he's going to. I don't think it's a smart projection or a smart bet because everything went right for Josh Allen and he eventually emerged. But Lance has that kind of skill set with the big arm, the rushing ability and some accuracy issues right now, right? And we saw that early in Josh Allen's career. So as long as the 49ers are smart, they keep building around him. Some concerns about the interior of that line, and maybe that could cause him some problems this year. But overall, the talent is there. The weapons are there for him to be a, a star and even maybe move up into the top five fantasy quarterbacks. Yeah, I don't have much to add. You pretty much said it, and uh, I will especially underscore your point about uh his potential to be a great fantasy quarterback right away, even if he is not a great NFL quarterback right away. I think that's going to follow eventually. And I see it a lot like Jalen Hurts last year, where his running ability is going to score fantasy points. And even if he is not a, I don't know, even an average NFL passer, like he's going to score those points. And But eventually, I think there's more passing upside than there is with Hurts. So I'm totally on board. Um, you mentioned James Cook maybe being an Alvin Kamara light. We both have the actual Alvin Kamara ranked as a high-end RB2, so not in running back one range. What are your hesitations with him? Uh, there really there aren't many hesitations at this point. Like I keep kind of creeping him back up my rankings now. And we could spend a long time on this one too. I mean, we talk with the medical analysts. I think there's some great legal analysts out there in the fantasy industry, in the NFL world, drew Davenport of football guys. I really like citing his stuff. I always want to hear what he has to say about this. And it seems like his expectation is that you know, with these hearings getting pushed back, that that's going to continue and that there's a good chance that Kamara is going to avoid a suspension and going to be able to play this season. The only caveats being that if there's a plea deal, if, there's a video apparently of the the fight that happened. If that video got released, which weirdly hasn't happened yet, you think like TMZ or somebody would be able to get their hands on that. Hopefully they're not waiting till like right before the NFL season to drop it. But if a video came out, like we've seen in other cases that could really force the league to do something. But right now it seems like the general consensus is that Kamara has a pretty good shot to avoid a suspension this year. And that means like this is a guy that he's been a top eight fantasy back in fantasy points per game every year of his career. And he's got more target competition like he doesn't have Drew Brees anymore. Maybe he's not going to get 80 catches every year like he did for the first four seasons or so of his career. But 
he's still got as much touchdown upside as I would say any running back out there. This offense, even though there's more target competition, there's also better weapons now with all these receivers there. So I think that could make them more efficient, potentially to more scoring opportunities. As long as Jameis is healthy, I saw Jameis went down today with an ankle injury. They're getting checked out now. So hopefully that, that turns out okay. And he's going to be fine and not miss any time. But when you look at the competition there, I mean, Mark Ingram's turning 33 in December. Like that's his main backup. Like, are we that worried about Mark Ingram, you know, taking a ton of carries and touches all along the year. So I think as long as he avoids the suspension, Kamara is going to be a great pick where he's going now in like the, the two, three turn. So really it's just been the suspension. I think that people are mostly scared of. And now it seems like there's a good shot that he could potentially avoid that. Yeah, mostly. Like I do worry a little bit about um, how the efficiency just kind of plummeted in the first year without Breeze. But of course, I mean, they had major, major issues at the QB position after Jameis got hurt last year. I just wonder if they try to maybe do too much with him in the running game. And, uh, you know, that maybe increases the risk of injury and makes them want to use him a little less in the passing game. So, yeah, another 81 catch season is probably off the table, but um, uh, like it's hard to put him too far beyond the top 10. So we both love Mike Williams, Justin. You love him even more than I do. I've got him wide receiver 14. You've got him wide receiver 12. I think the Chargers telegraphed this for us last year. And I don't know. I I was on him, but I don't know that I even took it as seriously as I should have. Because Justin Herbert, last year in training camp, Justin Herbert did a press conference and he told all the reporters, we got to get Mike Williams the ball more. We're going to get him the ball more. He's a huge weapon for us. And then they just came out and they did it. And he had a career year in targets at 129 targets, receptions, 76 yards was over 1100 yards. And it led to a points per game fantasy finish, a wide receiver 14 in PPR. And, you know, it was really impressive. He ended the year as a wide receiver 12 and half PPR. And that was just ahead of Keenan Allen. Now PPR going to be a little tough, maybe to top Keenan Allen, just with how much work he gets, how much volume, but as far as half PPR leagues go, which is really the most common type of league. When I asked the last couple of years, half PPR has been the one that's kind of risen to the top. I think Williams belongs in that wide receiver one conversation and touchdowns are really volatile. He has that kind of that build to be a big time touchdown scorer. I think he's got an excellent shot to, to reach double digit touchdowns this year based on what he did last year. So he scored nine touchdowns last season. He only converted on three of his 12 targets inside the 10 yard line. So there's room for even more there. Wouldn't shock me to see him put up a really big touchdown total. I think he is the number one for the Chargers. Now, Keenan Allen's still there, might be starting that decline phase a little bit, but Keenan Allen has that skill set where he's going to be like the Larry Fitzgerald. He's going to hang around for a while. He's going to be productive for a while, even if he doesn't put up the same you know, high-end numbers uh, for the rest of his career. But I think he's going to be good. I think Williams is going to be great this season. And I think the fantasy community is coming around to that idea at this point. Yeah, the ceiling is crazy, and we saw it through five weeks last season. He was wide receiver one in half-point PPR, just a tick above uh, Cooper Cup. Tweaked his knee in week five and kind of slowed down for the next month, month and a half, but uh, picked it up again late in the season. All right, I was worried, Justin, that I maybe had Tyler Lockett ranked too low. Just looking at him, not seeing much hope for the situation in Seattle. I had him at wide receiver 38. Uh, You're right there with me, wide receiver 37. 
too low. I think we're higher than most. I mean, when you look at his underdog ADP, he's going as the wide receiver 48 in the eighth round. Like, oh, it's is he going insane. that late on underdog? Oh, my it goodness. It is insane how low everyone is on him. And yeah, I'm not really excited about investing in the Seahawks offense this year. Like, unless they're the only out is if they somehow end up getting Jimmy Garoppolo. If somehow he gets released or the 49ers just cave and are willing to trade him to a division rival, which I kind of doubt would happen, but that would be the only way to kind of save that quarterback situation at this point. I'm not expecting much from Geno Smith or Drew Locke. If one of them starts the season, they're probably both going to end up getting starts. They'll flip-flop back and forth. Neither of them is going to be that good. But when you look at Lockett, I mean, three straight seasons with over a 1,000 yards and at least eight touchdowns. Like, even if those numbers decline, and they're going to decline without Russell Wilson there, he is still such a talented receiver, a guy that can put up numbers that are going to be much better than wide receiver 48 in the eighth round. At that point, you can get him as your wide receiver four, wide receiver five. Like it's a great buy, I think, on the off chance that the quarterback situation does improve or, you know, DK Metcalf could get hurt or Lockett could just end up giving you a 900 yard season and six touchdowns, which would still be a good stat line for where you can get him in these drafts. So don't really invest in the Seahawks offense if you know you don't have a if you have an option I would go the other way with it but still Lockett I think is a guy that you could happily take just based on the cost yeah maybe as a depth piece but I mean uh with Geno Smith or Drew Lockett quarterback I guess I just would not feel good about having him in my starting lineup most weeks you know like uh, an injury or two happen then yes that's fine. I'd, I'd be glad to have Tyler Lockett on my bench. But as of now, I would not be excited about starting in week one, I guess, is the bottom line for me. All right, let's dig in on a few of the guys we disagree on. Yeah, now, this I is have, way more fun. <laughs> yes, definitely. So I have Kyler Murray at QB3, and I've kind of oscillated between ha- having him or Joe Burrow uh, in that spot. You have him QB7. What are your reservations on Kyler? Yeah, I've I've moved him down a little bit as we've gone along here. I mean, we know that he has like really high end capabilities fantasy wise, like he's got the rushing skills. I'm a little worried with DeAndre Hopkins being out early in the season. I know Marquise Brown's a nice pickup. I don't know if that alone is going to fill kind of that number one void that Hopkins is going to leave for those first six weeks. And then you have all these red flags about Murray, all the issues with the team his commitment to football, all that sort of stuff. And I'm not overreacting to that by any means. I did think it was odd that he kind of overshared when he got asked about it in the press conference that he kind of like rattled off all his accomplishments. It was like, it was too much. It was like, you know, Kyler, you don't have to say that. Like you could have got away with just like giving a quick answer and moving along. So for me, I think it's just, this one's more of my spidey senses being up a little bit the drop off in his stats every year as the season goes along, you know, he gets banged up sometimes. I'm not necessarily going to buy into the video game narrative and the Call of Duty thing that that's why his stats drop off in the second half of the season. But something causes him to really not produce as well as the year goes along. I think it's that he gets banged up a little bit and maybe doesn't perform the same at that point. But this is also about the guys at the top and some of them we've already talked about here. Josh Allen, Herbert, Lamar Jackson, Patrick Mahomes, Burrow, who we talked about, and Jalen Hurts. Those are the guys I have above him. I feel really good about those guys as my top six and Hertz might be the one that people look at and go really hurts above Murray. But last year Hertz was the QB six and fantasy points per game. And now he gets AJ Brown added to his offense. So I think it's just really loaded near the top and it's almost that 
I'm trying to look for a reason to move one of those guys down or to be able to move some of the other guys up. And Murray just has enough red flags this offseason that he's the guy that gets bumped down a little bit for me. Yeah, that's fair. Someone's got to be at the end of that tier. And uh, Murray has had an unusual offseason, to be sure. Uh, let, let's stick with the Cardinals. So you have James Conner ranked running back 12. I have him ranked running back 16. Um, might you move him down a little bit if we get another report like we just saw about Eno Benjamin maybe uh, stealing some of that passing down work? It's possible. Like, and it, it depends what happens with the other guys in that range. Like we talked about, you have a, a Kareem Hunt trade happens, then, you know, Nick Chubb will move ahead of, of Connor potentially. But one of the biggest reasons I think people are down on Connor and they've been down on him for a while, and I won't be a hypocrite. I've been down on him in past years as well, is the durability concerns. And when you look at it, Connor's missed two to three games in three of his last four years. And that goes back to, you know, when he became a, a starter in Pittsburgh. But missing two to three games for a running back, that's not that big of a deal over the course of a, a whole season, right? And when you look at what Connor did last year, was a top 12 fantasy back in points per game over the first 14 weeks before he got banged up. And when you look at specifically, and I mean, everyone has cited this, I'm sure at this point in the offseason, everyone's seen this. But when Chase Edmonds was out from week nine to week 14, Connor was the second highest scoring fantasy running back, 25.8 fantasy points per game behind only Jonathan Taylor. Now, if Anino Benjamin works in there a little bit more, yeah, he's not going to put up the second most fantasy points per game among running backs, but could he put up the 12th most? I think he still could. And the touchdown upside is there for sure, even if somebody like Eno Benjamin is working in a little more. I mean, uh, Connor finished third in total touchdowns last year at 18. He was very, very close to the top guys, Taylor and, and Austin Eckler last year. I think they had 20. Um, and I think there's a chance early in the season if Hopkins is out here and he's going to be that they might have to lean on Connor a little bit more early in the year to help that offense out. So even if, if he misses time this season, even if he's out for a couple games or even if it's more than that, if he's out for four or five games. If the production when he's healthy is as significant as it was last year, I am going to take that. And then I'm just going to kind of bandaid together those other games with a running back off the waiver wire or you know, maybe with, uh, with, you know, Benjamin himself, who will be on my bench perhaps, but I think Connor has significant upside. I really think the main knock on him is the dur durability issues. And I think we might be over overreacting to that. Yeah. You said it, uh, two to three games really isn't that much. And if you look at that period where Edmonds was out last year, I mean, Connor was getting massive weekly workloads and holding up just fine. Uh, let's see. So I have Javante Williams ranked running back nine. You've got him running back 15. Yeah, I mean, this one comes down to whether Javante is going to take on that bigger lead back role this year or not, right? And I anticipate that he's going to. I don't think it will be as much as some of the projections out there from some of the beat writers. I know there was talk could be 80-20, could be 70-30. I don't think we're going to see that. I think we're going to see like 60-40 in Javante's favor. And I say that because we started to see that down the stretch last year. In the first 10 games before the Broncos had their week 11 bye, Javante only saw 50% or more of the snaps in three of those first 10 games. Then you come back after the bye from week 12 on played more than 50% of the snaps in six of his final seven games. And not surprisingly, Javante was the RB 14 in fantasy points per game and half PPR during those last seven contests. So I still see him as a top 15 option. You are obviously higher on him. Maybe you think that that touch split is going to be even more 
of a contrast this year. I don't think it's out of the question that he could emerge as the the clear lead back. And even that's even if Gordon does take some touches away. But I did see today their OC was talking about how both backs are going to be on a pitch count during the season. Seems like, you know, they're going to consciously try to keep them both healthy and, and you know, plan for the, the long haul and nobody going down and getting injured. It's tough to avoid, but if they're going to do that, if they're going to talk about the pitch count, I think that lends itself more to it being, you know, 55, 45, 60, 40, something like that. So I'm hopeful on this one. I want to see Javante blow up. I want you to be right. I want to be in the top 10. Before Melvin Gordon came back, I think I had him in my top five. I was very excited about him. We need more of these high-end fantasy running backs. So it would be nice for him to emerge as that. But I'm tempering my expectations a little bit, though I still think top 15 is is pretty good. I do too. Uh, I And I love Melvin Gordon. It's hard for me to uh, say a bad word about him. But and. Actually, Justin, I'm totally with you. I don't think it's going to be 70-30. I think probably the most it would be would be, you know, 62-38 or something like that. But a slightly increased workload, you know, something more than 50-50 we saw last year, combined with a massive QB upgrade, uh, you know, I think that could push Javante in a running back one range. How about Antonio Gibson? Um, I've got him at RB19. You've got him a little lower. We're not too far uh, apart on this. You have him at running back 24. Washington brought in a bunch of running back prospects before the draft. And that was kind of the first time. I mean, when they brought McKissick back, it was unfortunate. And you were like, oh no, so we're not going to have the ceiling for Gibson, but you still think he's going to be a pretty good fantasy back. And then right before the draft, they're having all these top 30 visits. They're bringing in all these running back prospects. And that was when I started to go, wait a minute, like, is the team not as excited about Gibson as, as we are in the fantasy community? They eventually take Brian Robinson and Ron Rivera immediately starts talking him up as a one-two punch with Gibson and sort of likening it to the Jonathan Stewart, D'Angelo Williams days in Carolina. And that that's worrisome, right? Like those guys were were good. They put up some good fantasy stats. But if you're looking at Gibson to kind of take the step forward that we hoped that he was going to take in the last year or two, it's going to be very difficult to do when you have McKissick back there stealing passing work, when you have Robinson taking some early down work, potentially some goal line touches. I think that's concerning. I also think that maybe one of the reasons why Washington's upset with Gibson or not as high on Gibson as we are is the fumbling issues. He led all running backs league wide last year. He had six fumbles. He lost four of them and he's had some fumbles in practice this year too. I've seen the beat writers comment on that. So I just think there's a lot of signs here that Washington doesn't like Gibson as much as we did for fantasy a year ago. I know I did, Pat. I thought he was going to be sort of one of those next guys to to make the leap. And he had the the profile to be the pass catching guy to, to handle the early down carries. And right now, I think for him to do that, he might have to end up on another team at some point in the next couple of years. Admittedly, I have a hard time justifying my ranking of him because, like, I'm concerned about the usage too. Uh, the fumbling—you make a great point. You know, he—that was a big problem for him last year. But uh, I guess this is kind of a blind bet on a large, very fast guy with a demonstrated history of of pass catching ability. I'm just hoping the usage uh, works in his favor, and it's it is a blind leap of faith. But I'm I'm going to take it with him. It also uh, doesn't right. help the the Carson Wentz reports that we're hearing out of camp that Carson Wentz is struggling yeah, with accuracy. And so any I hope know. that that was going to be an upgrade at quarterback, like it still will be, but maybe not quite the upgrade that we thought initially. 
yeah, maybe not my best uh, Scott Fishball draft decision to take Carson Wentz at some point as my quarterback, too. Uh, <laughs> so last one, Justin, you have Cortland Sutton ranked wide receiver 18. I've got him down at wide receiver 26. He is the most accomplished guy in that receiving core, right? Like Jerry Judy hasn't shown it yet. Jerry, Jerry, sorry, Jerry Judy's shown flashes of it but hasn't really put that, you know, really big season together yet. I think it's going to happen for Judy this year, but Sutton's a guy that's proven it before. Sutton is the guy that the beat writers have really pointed to as the one that's kind of positioned to be that top guy for Russell Wilson. And now you look at him and he's two years removed from that ACL MCL tears that he had that sidelined him for most of the 2020 campaign came back last year. I don't think it was totally himself necessarily. Now we have Tim Patrick out. Patrick was the other, you know, big body target on the outside. And I think when we get these quarterback upgrades, we often don't react strongly enough to them. And we saw it last year with Matthew Stafford. I feel like I was screaming from the rooftops that that passing attack was going to be so much better with Matthew Stafford under center. And that's what we saw. Now, did I think Cooper Cup was going to put up the season that he did? And do I think Cortland Sutton is going to be this year's, you know, Cooper Cup? I don't think that's the case, but I think he profiles fairly well to a guy that Wilson has had a lot of success with in DK Metcalf, right? And they were a really good duo over the last three seasons or so. I think that Sutton could find similar success with Russell Wilson. So I think it's going to be a really big year for that Broncos offense with Russ there now. I don't know that people in the fantasy community are reacting properly to just how much better they could be with that quarterback upgrade. And I think Sutton in my mind is, is positioned to be the top guy. So I'm excited to see what he can do this year. And I have him as a, a top 20 receiver. I, I really think he could do even more. I think there's a chance he could end up as a wide receiver one if everything hits and he puts up a, a good touchdown total too. It's definitely uncharacteristic of the fantasy community to underreact to something, but that may <laughs> indeed be the case here with, uh, you know, Russell Wilson coming to Denver. And uh, I think I am a little bit more amenable to a wide receiver two ranking for Sutton now that Tim Patrick is out of the picture. Um, you know, it, I just thought the situation was a little too murky otherwise for me to buy in, but now I'm starting to buy it a little bit. Uh, ladies and gentlemen, that's Justin Boone of The Score. Go visit thescore.com to check out his fantasy draft kits. Listen to him on the Score Fantasy Football Podcast. And of course, go find him on Twitter at Justin Boone. Thanks for being here, Justin. Always great to catch up with you. Yeah, I love talking with you, Pat. I love talking fantasy. I love talking life with you, whatever it may be. And I look forward to having you back on our show soon. And that will do it for this week's show. My thanks once again to our guest, Justin Boone of The Score. Find him on Twitter at Justin Boone. Fits on Fantasy is produced by the great Calm Kelly. Find him on Twitter at Overtime Ireland. Music is provided by the legendary Milwaukee Ska Band International Jet Set. And let me personally thank you for dropping by, dear listener. I do hope you'll circle back again next week. Until then, so long, everyone. I've got a head.